0: Talking about conflict today, in case you missed it uh, from that song. Uh, As I mentioned, we are in a series in the Old Testament book, Song of Solomon, and we are watching Solomon and his bride walk through their relationship together and how they're doing that God's way. We've looked at issues already like attraction and dating courtship we've seen them get married last week we saw them consummate their marriage with sex and in the next three weeks we are actually going to be in their married life and I'm excited because we're really going to be addressing three of the most important areas of marriage that we could talk about and in this week this couple has their first fight does that ever happen in marriage Do you ever get in conflicts? You know, I know there's that old saying that the first six months or a year of marriage, you're in that honeymoon period, Uh, but then reality strikes, like, wow, I'm living with somebody else who's totally different than me. Uh, But in our case, when Peggy and I got married, uh, we had a honeymoon period of 23 hours before our first fight, and uh, I can admit to you this morning today, it was my fault, uh, and I have taken responsibility of that. But I will say whether you're married or single I think these words can apply to you because in all of our relationships we're going to face conflict at some point right The question is are we going to deal with it in a godly way or or not Conflict is inevitable but the way you handle it is going to determine a lot of how successful, quite honestly, you are in life. And so we're going to look at how this couple finds themselves in their first conflict and how they resolve it. we got a lot of ground to cover today. I don't know how much uh, time has elapsed since their wedding day, but I'm thinking this is kind of early on in their marriage. They have their first fight, and uh, we're going to walk through God's Word together. I hope you can take some notes. And one of the things I'm going to tell you again, I'm going to mention six principles for handling conflict uh, in your relationship so you can write some of those out on the margins of your scripture. So, y'all ready? Here we are in chapter 5, starting in verse 2. The woman is speaking here, and she says, I was asleep, but my heart was awake. Her heart is a reference to Solomon, right? He's awake, she's asleep. A voice, my beloved, was knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. He's at her bedroom door, knocking. For my head is drenched with dew, my locks with the damp of the night, apparently he's sweating. I'm guessing he was out working, and he wants to come and see his wife. He wants to be with his bride. And by the way, this may seem strange to us today, but it wasn't uncommon in these days for a husband and wife to have separate bedrooms, especially uh, in the case of a king. And so Solomon has probably been working hard throughout the day. He comes to his wife's bedroom. He's knocking on the door saying, I'd like to come in and spend some time with you, to be with you, to talk with you. And I know if you've been with us in this series what you're thinking right now, right? After all this raisin cake stuff, after the hills of Bether, after the awake north wind, you're thinking, here we go again. But look at how she responds in verse 4. She doesn't even get up from the bed. She just yells at him. I've taken off my dress. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I dirty them again? In Hebrew, literally, that means I've got a headache. Go away. (laughs) Does this ever happen in relationships where there is hurt? Where there is misunderstanding, it sure does. All couples are going to fight. But the key is, do we fight dirty or do we fight clean? And what I want to show you is how this couple fights and how we can learn from them about how to fight well. There are six principles, as I mentioned. I'm going to have you write these down. But before that, the scene is set, right? Here we go. This man is probably deeply hurt at this point. She's disregarded him. How is he going to handle this moment? I've never found better wisdom in the world than what God has given us in his word. It just tells me again how practical this book is for our everyday life. So look at how he responds to being hurt in verse 4. My beloved extended his hand through the opening. I don't know what their doors looked like at that time, but I'm kind of picturing maybe underneath the door he slides his hand, and I'm thinking this is like a gesture of peace. Like, it's okay. I understand. Not having the best day. Just want you to know I still love you. I just want you to know I still love you. It's a gesture of peace. He doesn't tear the door down. He doesn't start knocking and yelling. And he just slips his hand under the door with a gesture of peace. And that's the first principle of conflict resolution. Write this down. When your spouse or anyone, for that matter, hurts you, don't mirror their reaction. I think the word we would use for that is don't retaliate. Don't retaliate. In other words, if they yell, don't yell back. If they call you a name, don't call them a name back. This is modeled for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Can you read these words from 1 Peter 2.23 out loud with me on the screen? It says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, what would you think if we read that and it said, when they spit at him, he spit back? You'd say that'd be out of character for Jesus. Now listen, if you are a Christ follower, here's the mystery of the gospel. You now have Christ dwelling in you. His spirit lives and dwells in you, and so we are becoming more like Jesus. And so when these moments come in our life, instead of retaliating, we follow his example like Solomon does here. He extends instead a gesture of peace. And notice what the result is. Notice this. He diffuses with just this one gesture the situation. Look at what we read next. She says, and my feelings were aroused for him. Why are her feelings aroused? Because of his tender reaction, right? He doesn't, he doesn't act in anger, even though I'm sure he's dinged, he's hurt. And I just think, I'll just tell you this right now. I think if we could just learn this one thing about conflict, so many of our fights would just end right here, right? But there's this beast that lives inside of every single one of us, every single one of us, that's called pride. And when these moments come in our relationships, that beast rears its ugly head, right? I mean, it's like a split-second decision where somebody says something, you're hurt, boom, pride rises up, and I can either respond, I can retaliate, or I can swallow my pride and extend that hand of peace, I think the reason the pride is there is because we need to decide in that moment, like, am I going to try to win this argument right now? One of the things I want to hammer home this morning, though, on this subject of conflict, is there really such a thing as winning an argument in marriage? Does anybody win if there's not any actual resolution? I, uh, In college, I was uh, I, I would, I would debate. I'd enter debates. And so I'm like, well, this is like, natural to bring into a marriage relationship right Uh, i'm going to argue my point she can argue her point no hard feelings we're just going to see who's right because it's all about who's right it doesn't work so well right it's not the greatest attitude to bring in to these moments listen one of you may be better at debating and you may have dominated the other person but is there any resolution that takes place in that moment no no Instead of trying to win, Solomon diffuses the situation. What a better approach by being patient and kind and loving. And guess what? It worked. It actually worked. Verse 5, I arose, she arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, and my fingers with liquid myrrh in the handles of the bolt. She gets up. She's going to let him in. She's dripping with love. I think that is what that's saying. And what happens when you don't react to your mate? We see it right here. You diffuse the situation and you allow the Holy Spirit to do the winning. You allow God to do the winning of that person. And that's principle number two in conflict. Let God do the correcting. Let God do the correcting. What that means is you can't be God in that person's life. We've talked about it this way, right? Stop trying to be the Holy Spirit with your spouse. That's what we're doing when we seek to win an argument. If you learn one thing about conflict, right, you're going to learn this early on uh, in any relationship, you're never going to change somebody's mind by arguing with them. They're just going to get the defenses up, right? I'm going to argue back. I mean, it's natural for me if somebody's coming at me, I'm putting up the wall and I'm going to defend back. Instead, only God can change someone. Only God can change someone. I was having lunch this week with a, a friend and he was honest and said the first seven years of our marriage were miserable. And the reason for that was he wasn't following Christ at all. He wanted nothing to do with Christ. And his wife, God bless her, kept wanting him, you know, to know more about Christ. And so she would talk to him all the time about it. You should be doing this. You should be thinking this. You should be going here. You should be going that. And what happens in that case? He was actually being pushed further away from Christ. Their marriage was becoming more and more filled with tension until one day, I think God spoke to this woman and said, I'm going to quote, Stop talking to him so much about me and start talking to me about him. And from that day on, her attitude fundamentally changed. Instead of trying to convince him or argue with him about this or that, she just brought her burdens to the Lord. And to this day, you know, they're one of these couples we look, many of us look up to and go, they're, they're doing something right. Solomon understands this. He's not going to change his mate. Look what he does. I opened to my beloved, but he was gone. He had turned away and gone. My heart went out to him as he spoke. I searched for him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer me. He responds by extending that hand of peace and then just walking away from the situation. By diffusing it. I don't think he's trying to avoid conflict here. He's just letting her know with her hand, you know what? That's okay, I know, just know I still love you. But he's gone now. And what does she experience? What feeling is she experiencing right now? It's called, anybody? Remorse, right? That's a good biblical word. When we have God's Holy Spirit in us, when we you know, stray off the path, we feel remorse. She feels remorse here because God is working in her heart. If he had said, how dare you respond to me, open up immediately, do you think we'd be at this point right now? No. He walks away in kindness. He extends the hand of peace. He tries to defuse the situation. He trusts that God will convict her, and she's convicted. And now in verse 7, she's going to get humbled. Remember a couple chapters ago when she was lonely and insecure, she went looking for her man in the middle of the night, and the watchman found her? Same thing happens here. Look at verse 7. The watchman who made the rounds in the city found me. They struck me and wounded me. The guardsmen of the walls took away my shawl from me. I didn't understand this verse at first, but basically, again, we've talked about this. What, who are the women that would be out late at night? The prostitutes. And so these watchmen, their job was to guard the city. They're assuming this woman being out so late searching for Solomon is a prostitute. And they, in our language, she basically gets arrested here by them. I love to tell this story. Chuck Dobson tells uh, a time when a wife you know, and a husband, she, he was helping her get dressed with the, with the dress, and he was trying to zip up the dress, and he started goofing around and fooling around a little bit, and he broke the zipper on this really nice dress. And obviously the wife wasn't very happy about this, so she's like, well, I'm going to get back at him for this. I'm going to retaliate, right? And so later that day, her husband's underneath the car changing the oil, and she goes up to him, grabs his zipper, and rips it off and breaks it. She walks into the kitchen, and guess who's at the fridge getting a drink? Her husband. She goes, whoa, 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 weren't you just outside changing the oil on the car? And he goes, oh, no, that's Jim. He's helping me fix, uh, you know, the the radiator or whatever. She goes, oh, no. And they go both walk outside, and Jim hasn't moved a muscle. You know why? Because if a strange woman grabs you by the zipper, what's your first inclination? Jim shot straight up. And knocked himself out. So, what's the lesson? What's the lesson? If you're the one that tries to correct your mate, it never works. It never works. Never once have I tried to correct Peggy. And has she said, you're right. Thank you. Thank you for that. No, no, no. God has to do the work. So, number one, don't mirror your mate's reaction. Number two, let God do the correcting. Let God do the correcting. That's so hard for us. I know. In verse 8, she wants to help... Get her, she wants her friends to help to find him. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved as to what you will tell him, for I am lovesick. In her verse 9, her friends ask her to describe the man she's looking for. What kind of beloved is your beloved, O most beautiful among women? What kind of beloved is your beloved, that thus you adjure us? And in verses 10 through 16, we get to see this woman's response. I wish we had tons of time this morning to go through this. I don't, but just understand, these next verses are the most majestic description of Solomon in this entire book. And I just want you to think about when this is happening in this book. It's happening. She's going to elevate him in front of her friends. Why? Because he has responded in conflict, kindly, And gently, in her mind, that has just brought him to a whole nother level. He is, he's like the the cream of the crop in her eyes by the way she responds here. And what I take away from that is whenever you're kind to your spouse, whenever you don't react in anger, they don't consider that a weakness. Right? He is kind and patient. And in her mind, yeah, that just elevates her. That just elevates him in her eyes. Too, too many men think today, we're, be, we're taught, right? We're taught in the world that to, to really get respect, you got to be like harsh and demanding and those kind of things. But I'm going to just put an end to that myth. That's not true strength. Solomon models true strength in what a man and how he reacts. Right, A man doesn't raise up, get angry, power up in these situations. He responds with peace and kindness and in a woman's eyes. That just elevates him to a whole nother level. I mean, you really want respect? That's how you get respect in a relationship. Verse 10, my beloved is dazzling and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. He's handsome. Verse 11, his head is like pure gold. His locks are like clusters of dates and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk and reposed. He's gentle. His cheeks are like a bed of balsam, banks of sweet scented herbs. His lips are lilies dripping with liquid myrrh. He's kind. He speaks kindly. Verse 14, his hands are rods of gold set with beryl. Underline that. We're going to come back to that later. His abdomen is carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. I think the picture there is he's gentle, but he's strong. I asked my wife this week if she thought my abdomen was carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. I didn't get a response. Verse 15, his legs are pillars of alabaster, set on pedestals of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. In our language today, she's saying he's the cream of the crop. The cedars of Lebanon were like the tree uh, in that area. And now my favorite, verse 16, his mouth is full of sweetness, and he is wholly desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my, what word does she use? Friend, oh daughters of Jerusalem. What a description. And what to her is the most important thing about their relationship? It's their friendship. It's their friendship. Honestly, I'll just tell you right now, if you want to develop something in your marriage, the most important thing to develop is friendship. Friendship. That way, when you get in conflict, you stop thinking about winning, and you start considering, hey, we're on the same team here. She is my friend. He is my friend. We're working together to resolve this issue. And again, even though the world tells us this man is weak right now, By walking away in peace and kindness, this woman is telling us through God's inspired word that this is the real measure of a man's strength. This is the real measure of a man's strength. Does that sound about right, women? Is this a strong man? Men, are you listening? Stop listening to what the world says a man's man is and listen to God's word. This is a man's man. This is a man's man. In chapter 6, verse 1, her friends ask her another question. They're like, wow, if that's him, where is he? Where is he? We'll help you. Where is your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where is your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? Now, understand, during these times, it wouldn't be uncommon for a man to just be able to divorce his wife at a whim, right? There's actual stories of men divorcing their wives because they'd burnt their toast. That's why the teachers of the law are asking Jesus all kinds of marriage questions when you read through the gospels. They're always wondering about marriage and how this thing works. And if you've read what Jesus says, he elevates marriage to a whole nother level, doesn't he? He brings it back to God's original intention found in Genesis 1 and 2. Marriage is to be honored. And he elevates that. So the daughters of Jerusalem to ask her, like, where's he gone? You better find him. Are you nervous? Has he left you? Look at her response. No. In verse 2, I know exactly where he is. My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of balsam, to pasture his flock in the gardens and gather lilies. Principle number three, write down. It's called resolution. Resolution. There must be a resolve for you to work through conflict no matter what. Have you seen that example in this woman throughout this chapter so far? She is going after him she wants to find him and deal with this, move on in their relationship. Why? Cuz there's resolution, not to just let this thing sit and fester. She is going to cut it off before it gets too bad. Listen, that means in your conflicts, you can either not deal with it, which we do so many times, and you know what happens? Is you start building up a wall between you and that person. Every time you don't deal with the conflict, you're just adding one more brick. One more brick one more brick, one more brick, or you resolve in your heart together, you are going to deal with it right then and right there and you get rid of the bricks. You get rid of the walls, no matter what it takes. This girl has resolution. She is trying to deal with this. The reason is found in verse 3. She says, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. He who pastures his flock among the lilies. That's oneness. That's Something you have to cultivate in marriage, right? It doesn't just happen. Oh, we're one now. No, no, no. You cultivate it, you develop it, and the way that happens is by this thing called resolve. I am resolved through thick and thin, no matter what happens, no matter how bad I'm hurt right now, we are going gonna to work through this. We're going to deal with this right here and right now. And in verse 4, she comes, finds him, and we come to the fourth principle, and that is in conflict you communicate. Guys, can you write that down? I just want to make sure you're all writing that one down. You communicate. And let me define communication for you. Communication involves two things. It involves assertiveness and active listening. So often, uh, you know, we, we don't think about the first one. And uh, <laughs> we do this premarital uh, counseling. And one of the sessions every time is this assertiveness and active listening drill and I just love it man these we just don't know how to do this so I love watching these couples like uh, how do I do this but here's what assertiveness is assertiveness is taking responsibility of how you feel without blaming the other person and yet how often when it comes to conflict is our natural response to start blaming you always do this you never do this. Assertiveness is saying, I feel this when you do this. You're taking responsibility of how that action made you feel without blaming the other person. And in the meantime, the other person is listening and actively listening. And by that, you know, in this, in this um, exercise I do with couples, they literally have to kind of repeat back what they think they heard their spouse say. I want to talk about some good moments like, That's not what I said at all, you know, like, okay, we're going to get better at this. We're going to grow in this assertiveness and active listening. I was terrible at this, by the way, when we were um, first getting married. And so when we went to our premarital counseling, our counselor gave me this little feelings card because I'm not so good with the feelings thing. Men, can you relate to this at all? Because I'd always say, like, well, I feel frustrated. That's not a feeling. (laughs) I don't know any other words. You know, that's, that's, that's it. So she gave me this card that I could then pull out whenever we were in a conversation. And uh, you have it there on page 17. Men, you can thank me later for this. Cut it out. Carry it with you. I did for like the first two years of our marriage. I had this in my wallet. And so whenever the conflict would come, I'd try to remember to pull this out and be like, I feel hurt, lonely lonely when this happens in our relationship. And instead of saying, you always Or you never. I began to take responsibility for my feelings, right? So with our couple, she comes to talk to him, and they communicate. He waits for her to take the initiative, but the second he sees her, guess what he doesn't do? He doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't tell her how wrong she is, like, you always do this. You never open the door for me. No. This man knows his wife is not perfect. Are any of you perfect? Marriage will probably show pretty quick. You're not perfect, right? But did you make a vow to be perfect in marriage? You did not make a vow to be perfect. You made a vow to be resolved. You made a vow to be resolved no matter what, through thick and thin, right? So this man knows he's not perfect. You have to, li- and then he listens to his maid, and they. You got to talk to your maid. You got to tell him how you've been hurt. Uh, I I love. I'm going to show you a video. This is my favorite all-time video. It kind of addresses the main issues between men and women when it comes to conflict, okay? So I'm going to show you this. I just want you to think if this shows anything in your relationship at all. It might be a little bit gross at first, but just listen to the dialogue. That's all I'm asking. Just listen to the dialogue of this video. It's just there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And... and I'm not sleeping very well at all, and all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is, thank you. Ow! Oh Come on, if you would just- Don't! I think that pretty much sums it up, right? We try to reason as men. Here's why you shouldn't feel this way. We're going to fix it. Instead, we've got to learn to listen and communicate. Honestly, what happens if that kind of pattern continues to form in your marriage? uh, If you don't take responsibility for how you've made somebody feel, they're just going to stop coming to you, right? And then you have this facade that everything's okay in your marriage, but one of the couples has probably dug a hole so deep they're never willing to come out and deal with any more conflict because they know it's just not even going to be communicated. You're not even going to be able to talk about it. Married couples, you need to be able to communicate and listen during conflict. Be assertive and actively engage. If that's not happening, start today. One idea I want to do away with right now before we move on, right here, everybody up, look at me. Conflict is not bad. You know, we've been taught, oh, you should never fight in marriage or you should never have conflict. Let's do away with that. That's ridiculous. In many ways, conflict is one of the key ways God will refine us as human beings. I talked about this last week. It's a sanctifying process, right? If we're not dealing with it well, yeah, it's going to turn bad. But if we handle it well, it can actually refine us. Martin Luther once wrote, Marriage did to me what no monastery could. It'll sanctify you pretty quick, won't it? Uh, It'll make you pretty holy when you deal with it right. But if you just strong arm your way, you walk away, if you blame... You may have won the argument. I mean, you may have won the argument, but you've lost the respect. You've lost the respect of your mate, and you've added one more brick, one more brick to that wall. Well, this couple communicates. She comes in verse 4, and I love this. She doesn't even have to say anything. This man just looks at her and says, You are as beautiful as terza, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem, as awesome as an army with banners. You know what I think this is? I think she approaches him, and she, he can just tell by the look on her face she's sorry. She knows she heard him. She knows she dinged him. He can tell just by the countenance on her face. Now, don't don't mistake this. There's communication happening right now, isn't there? She is communicating through her simply approaching him, but also through her body language. But before she even has to say anything, he just is like, let me calm your fears right now. Let me calm your fears right now. I still love you. In verse 5, he says, turn your eyes away from me, for they have confused me. You don't need to look at me like that. I know you're sorry. I know that's why you came. In the rest of verse 5 through 7, watch what he does. Tell me if these words sound familiar to you. Your hair is like a flock of goats that have descended from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes which have come up from their washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them is lost or young. Your temples are like a slice of pomegranate behind your veil. Where have we heard this before? It's okay. Say it. Where have we heard those words before? Last week on their honeymoon, right? This guy's a genius, <laughs> right? I mean, why do you think he's saying these words to her? What is he? What is he expressing to her by repeating these words? Think about this. I know you're sorry, and I love you just as much today as I did on that day, the day we got married. My love for you hasn't faded, and she's smiling again. She's smiling again because of the way he handled it. And that's principle number five here. If you're writing, it says it's number five forgiveness. Forgiveness. He forgives her. Tommy Nelson says when you begin to forgive your mate, you imitate God in your marriage. Does that make sense? I mean, how can I not forgive my mate after all that God has done for me in his forgiveness? You were an enemy of Christ. I was an enemy of God, right? I was a sinner with no hope. I was lost and yet Christ gave his life to me and he offers me endless forgiveness because I need it. I need it every day. How do we not offer the same thing to the relationships in our life? Married and otherwise. Jesus was asked, how many times should I forgive them? What a, what a human question right there. How many times do I need to do it so I can write that down and keep track? And when I hit the, when I hit the mark, we're good. We're good. He says, 70 times 7, which is basically anachronism, which means endlessly. You just forgive. You forgive as much as I have forgiven you. Verses 8 through 10. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and maidens without number, but my dove, my perfect one, is unique. She is her mother's only daughter. She is the pure child of the one who bore her. The maidens saw her and called her blessed, the queens and the concubines also, and they praised her, saying, Who is this that grows like the dawn, as beautiful as the full moon, as pure as the sun, as awesome as an army with banners?" I'm not sure, but I think what he's saying here is, listen, I could have had the pick of any woman. He could have, because he was a king. But you're the one I want. There's no one like you. Next to verse 11, right principle number six, reconciliation. Reconciliation means you don't just forgive, you forget. You move on. You move on in the relationship. He moves on. I went down to the orchard of nut trees to see the blossoms of the valley, to see whether the vine had budded or the pomegranates had bloomed. Listen, throughout the book, what has the image of the vineyard represented? You remember this? We've talked about it like three times now, so please. Anybody, what does the vineyard represent? Yes, good. It's their relationship. The vineyard throughout this book is always referring to their relationship. And so what is he saying here? He's saying, I'm going to go check on our relationship right now. And does he describe it like it's dead? It's not blooming. It's in wintertime because of this conflict. No, it's the reverse. It's blossoming. It's in full bloom still. This can happen in conflict. It doesn't have to lead to deadness in your marriage. It can actually lead to further blossoming and flourishing if it's done right. This couple is not going to let conflict come in and ruin their vineyard, their relationship. So he looks at it and he says, listen, it's still blooming. It's still blossoming. Verse 12, my favorite verse in the section says, Before I was aware, my soul set me over the chariots of my noble people. For a king to put someone in his chariot would be like the president inviting you to ride on Air Force One. It is an esteemed position he has given her. The idea here is we're done with this. We're moving on. We're going to continue just journey of our marriage together. I'm not going to hold it over you. I have forgiven you. I have forgotten this time. Let's continue together. I once heard a guy say, when my wife gets mad at me, she gets historical. You know what that is? Well, you did it again. May 2, 2002, you did the same thing, right? Love holds no account of wrong, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, when he's defining love. Clara Barton uh, was the founder of the American Red Cross, and she got really hurt uh, by a man, and this man came to one of the meetings that they were putting on, and Clara's friend saw him and went up to her and was like, do you see who's here? And uh, her response, I've got to read it. She said, yeah, I see him, and I distinctly remember forgetting what he did. That's what love is. That's what Christ has modeled for us. He distinctly remembers forgetting our sin. So there's reconciliation. And in verse 13, there's a deepening of their relationship. Can conflict, if it's done well, lead to deeper places in your relationship? Yes. This couple is going to get away together. And the daughters of Jerusalem, they're in the chariot. They're leaving. Daughters of Jerusalem say, come back, come back, O Shulamites. Come back, come back, that we may gaze at you. Uh, By the way, that word Shulamite, you might want to circle that. It's not her name, nor is it where she is from. This is so cool. In the Hebrew, it's actually the female derivative of the name Solomon. It'd be like Joe and Josephine. And what are her friends suggesting here? They're suggesting this couple has become, become so close, they're like one person. They're like one in the same. That's how you become one in marriage. No one's perfect. If you allow God to use conflict, though, you can be refined and you can become closer through it. The rest of verse 13 says, Why should you gaze at the Shulamite?" as at the dance of the two companies. They're in the chariot. They're heading out. And by the way, next week, if you thought last week was bad, they're about to have the most passionate scene of intimacy in the entire Bible. Um, but they're off. Uh, we'll have to wait for that, thank goodness. Uh, but the, there is power of forgiveness. There is power in forgiveness. So here are the principles. Don't react. Don't retaliate. Let God do the correcting. Keep resolution in your marriage that no matter what, No matter what, you're going to work through this conflict. Learn to talk and listen. Assertiveness, active listening. If you're the one that did wrong, you're like this woman. You resolve to come with an apology. If you're the one that's been offended, you forgive and you forget. That's reconciliation. As we close this morning, I'm going to offer uh, something in the, in the study guides that come with the, this series on the Song of Solomon that I've seen before. It's the 17 nevers to do in a relationship. I know that's a lot. Um, I added one, so now it's the 18 uh, nevers. But there are certain things in conflict that you should never do. And uh, if you're doing more than five of these, you've probably begun to build up, build up that wall of bitterness. One thing I also want to mention is like, I know that there are situations where there's questions like, what does forgiveness mean? What does forgiveness not mean in this situation? Pastor Brian spoke about that exactly almost a year ago in an Unsung Heroes series uh, on the message of forgiveness. If you're struggling with like, well, what does this mean for me to actually forgive and to forget? I would encourage you uh, to read that. Again, I'm talking just generally speaking. When you get into a fight with, your, with someone in your life, here are 17 nevers. Feel free to elbow each other if you're married right now. Number one. Never raise your voice in your home. You don't shout. You don't raise your voice. You know what that is? It's a primitive means of trying to control someone. Think about it. I'm going to power up over you. I'm going to start shouting and raising my voice. What are you trying to do? You're trying to control that person. You talk in a normal tone, in a normal voice. Number two, never publicly embarrass your mate. This one kills me when I see this, right? Oh, He he or she will be standing right there.
1: Can you believe that
0: the other night he did Whoa. That's not love, nor is that respect. Number three, never quarrel before your children. Quarrel is the word the Bible uses when fighting escalates to a bad place, right? I will say this. Listen to me. You should fight in front of your children. Isn't that weird to say? No, no, you should fight in front of your children because they are going to need an example and a model of how to fight well. Quarrel, though, is when your children begin to get frightened about what's happening. You don't quarrel. You don't raise it to the level where your kids are going to get frightened. Speaking of kids, number four, never use your kids to win an argument. Your dad said that, didn't he, little Jimmy? You You don't make your kids take sides. You don't. And some of you are coming from mixed families, divorced families. That's even more important in those times. You don't make your kids take sides. Number five, never talk about your spouse outside of your marriage. Obviously, I mean negatively here, right? This girl wasn't afraid to talk to her friends about him positively. But you don't go to work, and that's your time to vent about your spouse. Number six, never use sex to win. Well, you may have won the argument, dear, but I hope you enjoy your night at the monastery. Enjoy the couch, right? Now, you deal with it then. Don't use sex as a power play in a relationship. Number seven, never touch in anger. I wish I didn't even have to talk about this. But man, do I need to talk about this in our world today. The abuse that goes on, especially for women, I mean, never put your hands on your spouse in a harsh way if you are a follower of Christ. Solomon's hands, remember I had you underline it? Go back to what it said about his hands there. What does it describe it as? Hands of gold. In its purest form, gold is soft, right? Gold is super soft. I mean, he is kind. He is gentle. He's not going to lift her hands against her. That's what a man's man is. Number eight, never call names. It would make the hair stand on the back of your neck to hear some of the names. Uh, Couples call each other in homes. Does that get you anywhere? It doesn't get you anywhere. Number nine, never get historical and call into account a wrong suffered. Number ten, never stomp out. This is called being passive aggressive. You get up, you slam the door, get in your car, head over to your buddy's house for the night, right? That's how a seventh grade girl handles conflict. You deal with it. Now, listen, what I'm not saying here, some, I've counseled some couples, listen, you get so heated, you need to take like a five-minute break. And so you say, you communicate and say, let's just take a five-minute break right now, and we'll come back to this. But the point is, you're still dealing with it. You're not stomping out. You're not avoiding the situation. Number 11, never freeze your mate out. This is the silent but deadly people, right? Well, I'm not going to communicate, but I'm sure going to let you know how I feel the rest of the day. And everybody's walking on eggshells in the home. Number 12, never use the in-laws. Tommy says, see, that's your problem, dear. You're just from Evil Seed. <laughs> that'll, that'll work. I'd also add this, by the way. Don't get your parents involved in your conflicts. Unless you are mutually agreeing to do so. Right? Don't run to mom, don't run to dad without the other person you know, saying, okay, we could use some help here. We could use some people to talk to. Number 13, never reason in the face of pain. Men, we tend to be guilty of this more than women, right? Don't try to fix it, even if there's a nail in her head. You just listen. Number 14, never let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil an opportunity. This is a direct reference to Ephesians 4.26 where Paul says, don't give the devil a foothold. How does the devil get a foothold in marriage? By not dealing with conflict. One brick at a time. One brick at a time. One brick at a time. Deal with it. Deal with it as soon as it is possible for both of you. Number 15, never reverse an argument. Well, maybe I did do that, but two months ago you did the same thing. Now you're talking about the here and now. You've already forgiven that thing two months ago, right? Right? You've forgotten it. You've moved on. Forgive and forget. And number 16, never fail to listen to your mate. Guys, there's a difference between hearing and listening. I had to learn this the hard way, right? I would be like watching TV. She would be telling me something. She goes, are you even hearing what I'm saying? And I would be able to repeat it back verbatim. See? There's a difference between hearing and listening, though, right, women? You have to be engaged with your face. You have to be responding. It's called active listening for a reason, not passive listening. Number 17, never harden yourself towards your spouse. This one's really hard. This one's really hard. And again, there might be some situations that have deeper uh, things going on. I'm not addressing that. What I think I'm talking about here right now is, is your spouse going to do the same stupid things over and over and over again? Oh, come on. (laughs) Of course they are. They do the same things over and over and over again. How many times do you forgive that? 70 times 7 times. You're always willing to forgive and to forget. If there's true remorse, by the way, if they come to you with true remorse in their heart. Right? There's a difference there. Number 18, I'm adding this one. Never use the D word. Divorce. You don't t- use the D word in the middle of a conflict. You're working through this. You're resolved to work through this. Now, I know that's just like a ton of information I just spilled all over you. Here's all I'm asking is that you take that list, you'd go home, and maybe reflect on that. Look at it and say, I'm doing these things. God, help me to change in this area. Talk about as a couple, we haven't been doing conflict well. Here's why we haven't been doing it well. Here's what we're going to work on. That's all I really want you to do with that list right now, okay? But last but not least, let me leave you with the thing that was most helpful for me in my life when it comes to conflict. And it's this, I've tried to bring this up throughout this morning, but it's this. Remember, if you're falling on your notes, no one wins when you're on the same team. If you go into your marriage remembering you're on the same team, you'll stop thinking about winning and you'll start thinking about resolving. You'll start thinking about resolving. Can we pray? Lord, I know this is uh, probably feeling like information overload right now uh, in this room. Uh, But I pray that uh, through all of the information, uh, you would uh, show us one or two things that you want us to see when it comes to conflict. Show us something in ourselves. Show us something that we um, can get better at and work on with your help, with your grace. Uh, Lord, I do pray for the, especially the marriages in this church family right now. Remind us that conflict isn't bad, but we can handle it in a bad way. So would you use this to help us to handle conflict in a way that will refine us? That will help us to draw closer together in our marriages and in our relationships? Uh, Lord, we pray uh, that we would not let Satan get a foothold in conflict in our lives, Lord. That we would break down the walls just as you have broken down the barrier between us and you. Let us model Christ in our relationships. For your sake, for your kingdom, for your church. Amen.